Good morning. If you'd like to read along with me this morning, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs, and we're going to read chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has honed her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is in sight. For by me your days will be multiplied and the years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The women folly is loud. You alone will bear it. Excuse me. The woman, Folly, is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, and her guests are in the depths of Sheol. I can remember growing up, if you wanted to watch a cartoon, you had to wait till Saturday. You couldn't you couldn't be blasted out of the bed on a school day, but you were up at the break of dawn on Saturday. You didn't need any sleep that day. And if you wanted to watch certain things, there were specials that would come on throughout the year and you would be glued to the TV when those particular shows would come on. It wasn't a regular thing. I can recall at my house in the evenings, it was the news after the news after the news. I was so sick of the news, I didn't even know what they were talking about. But when a special came on, then you were able to sit, you would be allowed to watch it because that didn't happen very often. One of those specials that would often come on different times throughout the year was the Charlie Brown special. You'd see it around Halloween, you'd see it around Christmas and different times. And I recall one time, Charlie Brown's sister Sally declared to him, she said, I think I've discovered the secret of life. She said, you just hang around until you get used to it. At one time, the Guinness Book of World Records had a category for the highest recorded intelligent quotient. 
Of course, we know that as the IQ, and Marilyn Voss Savant was the one who was declared to have the highest IQ in the Guinness Book of World Records. Now, she is an American magazine columnist. She is an author, a lecturer, and a playwright. And on one occasion, a man wrote to her column in Parade Magazine with a question about life. He said his life was more exhausting than he ever imagined, and he wanted to know, is this normal? Well, to his question, she responded, life is indeed normal. And then she gave an analogy of exactly what she viewed life as. She said, much of the time, life is like going through a crowded airport, pushing a loaded luggage cart with one bad wheel. She said, sometimes you you feel ridiculous pushing it, at times you look ridiculous pushing it, and at other times you just have to push it in the general direction. Now, I think maybe there's a lot of truth to both of those statements in a lot of ways, but there has to be more to life than just hanging around, waiting to get used to it, or just trying to to push it generally in the correct direction. And there is more to life. Fortunately, God has preserved for us through His providence the Bible. And He has provided for us insight into exactly what this life is all about. And He has everything to say about it. Now, I've titled the sermon this morning, The Secret of Life. Now, while we do not have time to study every single passage that the Bible has uh, about how we ought to live our life, we do have just a few moments to look at one chapter penned by Solomon, being inspired by the Holy Spirit on exactly what the secret of life is. I want us to notice some facts concerning life, how life ought to be lived, found in chapter 9 of the book of Proverbs. And I want us to begin with this. Solomon spoke of, Two choices. That's our first point. Of the two choices, one may choose human understanding or wisdom. We all have the ability to choose, and if we choose to follow after what we think is correct, or what we think is wise, we have every opportunity to do that. Now I want us to notice how Solomon described wisdom. She is described as a fine house supported by seven pillars which speaks to its spaciousness and its stability. Wisdom's house is away from the path of what normal human activity is or what humanity deems is normal. We see that in verse 3. Wisdom sent her servants out to call people to invite them into her banquet and she went and sought them where they lived to bring them to her house so that they might have a better life. I think it is important to understand also that wisdom is not intelligence. One one may have an extreme intelligence and be lacking wholly in wisdom. Instead, wisdom is the best use of knowledge. That's how we might describe wisdom. A life of wisdom must be then a life that lives out the truths of the Word of God. One may not be the smartest person in the world, but one can be a wise person in this world as he or she lives out God's truths. I think we see the perfect example of that in Matthew chapter 4, 
Our Savior was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He had nothing to eat or drink. He was tempted daily. And the final three temptations are recorded for us. And as he responded to those temptations, he simply said, It is written. Are we not fortunate that Christ did not do what the world would have had him to do? They would have said, Look, you haven't eaten for 40 days. You haven't drank anything for 40 days. Just go ahead and turn those stones into bread and quench your hunger for something to eat. Now that's worldly wisdom. I don't think we can ever properly appreciate exactly what Christ did to us when He refused to quench those earthly appetites. But that pathway is foolish, isn't it? The pathway that says, I'm going to take care of myself, I'm going to do what I want to do. It is the choice that in reality really requires no choice. You just kind of go along with the crowd. You just kind of blend in and you do what the rest of the world does without regard for God. That's the choice of really no choice at all. And that's the one who does uh, his way, lives the way he chooses. And I think the world upholds that, right? The world upholds the maverick who does things his way and doesn't format himself. And, and that may be appropriate in certain avenues of life. But Solomon also said this, found in Proverbs 16, verse 25. He said, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I don't think we can possibly understand the gift that God gave to us as Christ used His knowledge and He turned it into wisdom. He didn't give in to His hunger. Now the other choice is the opposite. We can choose the heavenly choice or we can choose wisdom as opposed to wickedness. Our passage says to us that folly also has a house, but it is built where the fool already lives. Verse 15. Now doesn't that make it more convenient? You don't have to pack up. You don't have to move. You don't have to change anything. Folly simply is already where the fool is living and it just continues on down going that way. We don't have to enter into a different house. We don't have to make any changes. And it's very inconvenient. And the world and Satan tells us that's the wise choice. After all, I don't know how many of us have moved. I've moved several times over the years and it's not an enjoyable process. Or at least it's not for my wife. You know, it's it's aggravating. It's very difficult. You have to pack up. You have to label things. You have to hire someone to come in or you have to load it up and take it yourself. And that's not... Convenient, it's very inconvenient, it's very difficult. The world says the secret to life is to go along to get along. Simply go with the flow. Now, notice how folly is described in our passage. Folly is described as a harlot. She promises the fool a good time, and it is the enticement of wickedness. But how does it end? Doesn't end well, does it? A good time is convenient, or so it seems to be convenient. Now, the writer of Hebrews spoke of the choice that Moses made. Notice Hebrews 11, verse 25. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin 
for a season. Moses didn't make the convenient choice, did he? In fact, Moses made a very inconvenient choice. He left a life of all that he knew. He grew up in the palace of Pharaoh. He was the son, adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. He had every opportunity. He had almost unlimited power. He had position. And he gave all of that away to go live in the desert and tend sheep for 40 years. Now that doesn't seem like much of a life, does it? That seems, in fact, like a very inconvenient life. But that was the wise decision. I think that people are a lot lot like water or electricity. Both take the pathway of least resistance. That's not what Moses did. Certainly not what uh, Jesus did in the wilderness. But I think generally people gravitate toward their human wisdom and wickedness. Not because they have to, not because they're born sinful, but because that's what they enjoy. It's a lot more convenient. You don't have to pack up. You don't have to move. You simply live where you are. Folly has built the house where the fool lives. Paul described that lifestyle to those in Ephesus saying this. Notice with me Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 1. He said, and you hath he quickened. He's made you alive. He's speaking to the Ephesians. You were once dead. He's made you alive. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. In the lusts of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even even as others. Now we need to understand, by nature means by habit. By habit they were the children of wrath. They weren't born that way. They became that way by habit. But like Moses and anyone else who has ever obeyed the gospel, at a time in our history, we lived in a similar way. We lived opposite of what God wanted us to live because we had not obeyed the gospel. At one time, we walked that way. But by contrast, the one who walks with heavenly wisdom does so because he has come to understand the truths about God. The wise person will know that one day he will stand in judgment before God, Romans 14, 12, giving an account For the things done in this life, Paul told those in Corinth, whether they be good or whether they be bad. And that's what the wise person understood. Now Solomon explained to us that there are only two choices. And there are only two when it comes to the secret of life. And then he made a contrast between the two. That's our second point. There is a wicked man. He described him as the fool who is unteachable. So we have the wicked on one side, the fool, he's not teachable, you can't tell him anything, he refuses to listen to reason, and if you do try to help him understand his uh, his wrongs in his life, he becomes upset, and he's not going to listen to God. Solomon said that you make an enemy of that person, you try to show him the mistakes in his life, he becomes angry, now he's your enemy. Paul said, am I your enemy because I tell you the truth? Well, of course not. The person who speaks the truth is one who loves you, right? I think too often in this world, 
In a, instead of changing oneself, a person will change jobs, will change friends, will change even spouses instead of trying to format his or her life to what God wants. I think that person is determined to live life again on his own terms, right? According to what he wants to do. He's not going to be told what to do. And the world upholds and honors that. Anyone who will stand in the very face of God and reject what he states is truth is someone to be honored in our culture today. But Jesus made a statement, John 8, verse 32, He said, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So you have the wicked person on one hand as Solomon contrasts these two choices. And then you have the wise person. The wise person is interested in truth. The wicked is not. The wicked person wants to be told what he wants to know. He wants to be made uh, to feel good about his choices in his life. He wants to have a clear conscience, though he's not living correctly. And I think a lot of the religions in the world offer that to people. They allow you to live in such a way that you want to live, and at the same time, giving you this facade of having salvation and living according to what God wants so that one might have a clear conscience. A wise man thinks all he says, or a, a, a wicked man, or a wise man thinks about all he says, and a, and a wicked man says all that he thinks, doesn't he? He has no uh, uh, thing to uh, watch what he says. He doesn't have anything to retard what comes out of his mouth. He just simply says and does what he wants to do. The foolish will persist in his foolishness. But what does the wise person do? The wise person will love you for helping them. The wise person will love you for helping them to overcome difficulties in their life. Helping them to see where they're wrong and then helping them overcome that. When we see the truth, the wise person will adjust his life. He's not going to change friends and jobs and, and spouses. He or she's going to change himself or herself and will do the right things and make God happy. Notice a wise person has a teachable spirit. Someone who doesn't think they have anything to learn is not going to be able to be taught anything, right? They already know it. Solomon illustrated the wise person by saying this. Notice Proverbs 1, beginning of verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck. Someone who realizes his limitations, someone who realizes his shortcomings, and grasp every opportunity to develop himself or herself for the positive is a wise person. We all have areas in our lives where we need to improve and need to get better and do things in a better way. Everybody's like that, but the wise person embraces that. Cato the elder, he was a Roman soldier, he was a senator, and a historian known for his conservatism and his opposition to Hellenization. He said this, Wise men learn more from fools than fools from wise men. I think when we look around the world, we see that great contrast among people. 
we see the wise and we see the foolish. I think that the, the, the foolish obviously know what's best in their lives, or so they think, and they're going to carry that out to the best of their ability. And the wise person looks to God and he tries to format his lifestyle according to what God says. People who don't do that, God calls them fools. Then you see those who are not perfect, they need help, and they rely on God. He calls those wise. We know we need instruction. We know we, we need help in understanding what righteousness is and how to carry that out and how to format our lives to fit that and how to present that to the world and to God. Paul told Timothy this, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. We're familiar with this passage. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect Truly furnished unto all good works. Now here's what the Scripture does for us. It instructs us. It gives us the doctrine. It is uh, good for reproof. It tells us when we are not fitting what God wants. It is there for our correction. It shows us what we need to do to fix that problem, right? And it is good for instruction in righteousness. We know what God wants. We know how to continue in what God wants, and we are able to be righteous through that. The wise person is a man or a woman of God, someone who looks to God, who reaches out to God, who goes to God's house instead of staying in his own house where it is more convenient. I think we ought to ask ourselves today, which one am I? Which one am I? Solomon spoke of two choices. Two contrasts, and finally, he spoke of two consequences. That's our third and final point. One may choose to go to the feast. Now again, wisdom is depicted as spreading her table for those who enter her house. Wisdom strengthens those who enter. She satisfies them and she sustains them. That's what happens when we go to a feast, isn't it? We're fed, we're satisfied, we're We're sustained, we have strength to continue, and that's what wisdom does for us. She gives those who enter her home all they need for now and all they need for the future. We notice that in verses 6 and 11. The same is true for the person who goes to God. God gives us the things we need now and the things we need for the future. We give give up the things of this world, we embrace what God wants, and it makes us better. It makes us saved. It makes us able to understand the truths of God and better equipped to tell other people about it. We see God spreading His feast for the wise, don't we? As they pass through this life. And He promises them an eternal home when this life is over. John 14, 1 through 3. Paul made a statement to the Corinthians. I want us to notice 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. Paul said, But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. We can't even imagine the greatness and the beauty of heaven. In in many ways, John tried to describe it for us in terms that we can understand of a, a street of gold, a city of gold, gates made out of precious gems, each 
each uh, or walls made out of precious gems, each gate a pearl. And we understand those to be priceless in our world. But we still cannot imagine what God hath in, has in store for us. Choosing to live by the wisdom of God will prepare us for the glory of heaven. But there's another consequence. Instead of going to the feast, one may choose to attend the funeral. The wise goes to enjoy the feast while the, while the others endure the funeral. Verse 18. When we look in Proverbs 7, 5 through 27, Solomon vividly describes that truth. He used the example of the, the foolish young boy walking down the street, passing the harlot, and her enticing him to come in and telling him her husband is gone and she has this beautiful bed laid out and, and, and he falls for that. He gives in to that. That's the foolish person. And that could stand in for any sin in this life, whether we give in to it. And we have to understand that we have to resist those temptations. But that's the result the fool endures, isn't it? If you give in and you partake of that sin, that's the result. But what does the world tell us? The world says, live life to the fullest. Don't miss out on anything. You only go around once in this world, right? You only have one life. You don't want to waste a minute of it without fulfilling the desires that we have. After all, didn't God give us those desires? God did give us those desires, and He gave us a way to fulfill each one of those desires in its proper place. But I want to ask this question. How much enjoyment did the lost son have of Luke 15? Oh, he may have started out thinking he was having a wonderful time. That he was living life to its fullest. That he was doing all that his heart desired. And then all of a sudden the money ran out. The friends ran out. The food ran out. He's sleeping with the hogs. He would like to eat what they were eating out of the slop bucket, but he wasn't allowed. And then the text tells us, and then he came to himself. He came to himself. What does that indicate to us? That indicates that when we live a life of sin, we're not being reasonable. We're not being rational. We need to come to ourselves to understand that's wrong. And that we need to look around and we might even be in the pigsty. Or we might rather be in the pigsty than where we are. That's what happens to the fool. There was a rich man who failed in his business. He gathered up what fortune he had left, which amounted to a few thousand dollars. He bought an RV and he decided that he was going to head west and he was going to start life all over again. So he uh, fixed the RV up so it could be lavish and, and expensive with what little bit of money he had left. And he, he bought a bunch of food and provisions and so he, ha he headed out. He traveled to this destination and when he got there, he stepped out of the door. And then it was only at that time that, it came to the, that he came to the realization, I spent every last penny I've got and now I can't even start this new life. He was foolish. He only thought of right now. He didn't prepare for the future. He couldn't even start a new life. He had used up all his money. But that's not the only person we've ever heard of doing that. Jesus spoke of the rich fool. 
Notice Luke 12, beginning with verse 16. He told a parable, and he said, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And then he said, This I will do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The wise will go to heaven. The foolish will go to hell. Where do we stand in our relationship with God this day? James spoke of the temporary nature of life, didn't he? James 4, 14. It's here and it's gone. And as we live in this life, it goes far quicker than what we ever expected. We've only been blessed with one life. Now that is true. And we need to be very careful how we spend it. And that we need to spend it wisely and that we need to live in the house of wisdom. And we do that by living the will of God, don't we? That's where it begins. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. A reverential fear, understanding that He is who He is. And that's what Jesus talked about when He spoke to those. John eight twenty four. He said, Unless you believe that I am He, you shall die in your sins. Well, who was, who was He... Uh, indicating that He was the very Son of God, God Himself. Unless we believed Him, and that believe is an ongoing word, it's actually an action word, isn't it? Believe meaning I'm doing something to demonstrate that belief. It's not a mental ascent. It's not simply saying I believe Jesus was a historical figure in time. I may even believe that He was the Son of God, but it must go beyond that. We have to do something to uh, demonstrate that both to God and to ourselves and to those around us. And we do that by living the will of God and preparing for eternity. We believe on God. Paul, uh, Peter said we were to repent of past sins, Acts 2.38, Acts 3.19, Acts 17.30. Paul made the same statement in 31. We're to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Romans 10, 9 and 10, Acts 8, verse 37. We're to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins so they can be washed away, Acts 22, 16. Now, baptism does a lot for us. We were talking about organizations in the world that, that offer this facade of, of uh, salvation and that we might have a clear conscience. Well, baptism into the church of Christ, the one Christ established, Matthew 16, verse uh, 16 through 18. When we are added to that church, we have a clear conscience. That's what Peter said, 2 Peter three twenty one. The like figure when to baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a clear conscience toward God through the resurrection of Christ Jesus. Faith, repentance, confession, immersion in water, that places us in the body of Christ, doesn't it? Acts two forty seven. Colossians 1.18, the body and the church are the same. And then, of course, faithful living, living the will of God and preparing for eternity. That's what the wise does. Even as we sit here this morning, 
the vapor of life is dissipating right before our very eyes into the thin air of eternity. If we're honest, will we say, I'm living a life based on the Word of God? I'm living a life where I walk in the fear of God, wanting to do the things that He wants me to do? Or am I living a life my own way? I do it the way I want to do it. I'm going to get every drop of pleasure that there is in this life for however long I live. And I never think about God or eternity. There's only two choices in the way we live. The people who do not consider God in their lives are looking to something that is terrible, destructive, something that is torturous for all of eternity. But those who look to God, the glory of heaven awaits us. Where are we today? Have we obeyed the gospel? Have we given our lives over to God through that process that He's laid out for us in the Bible? Maybe we've done that and we've, we've gone astray because it was the lost son who did leave his father's house. At one time he was there. But what he did, he realized where he was wrong. He went back, he, he repented of his sin, and he told the father that he had sinned against him and against heaven. And he asked him if he could come back into the home. Not even as a son, just simply as a servant. That's not how God operates, is it? If one comes back, repenting of sin, confessing their faults, whether publicly or privately, he will forgive and we are reinstated again as sons and daughters. For we're all the sons of God by faith. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. For as many of us as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And that's how we do it, isn't it? If you stand in need to answer the Lord's invitation this morning, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.